Well, good morning, and, and thank you for joining us on this beautiful spring uh, morning here in Hamilton. Uh, my name's John Lockley. I'm one of the pastors here at Hamilton Central Baptist Church. We're currently in our series, Getting Used to Different, where we've been looking at Jesus' teaching recorded in Matthew 5. It's commonly known as the Sermon on the Mount. Well, I arrived back in the country uh, this week from some annual leave uh, late on Tuesday with plans for the rest of the week to have it off and to do my lawns and to cut up the tree that's down on my front lawn and all of that stuff. And uh, then on Wednesday afternoon, uh, things went different. So I just want to say a really big thank you to the church family. As the church family have got to know this, they've been praying, the, uh, the intercessors were informed very quickly uh, the staff were informed, the intercessors have been praying. Um, I put it out on the prayer list. Uh, my computer was upgraded while I was away. I think it went out on the prayer list. I'm not sure I'll check on that. But for those that have got to know, um, the love and the affection that's just flowed in with meals being provided, with offers of practical support for, um, for Brian and Rachel and Brianna has been fabulous. Thank you, church family, as we get used to. Sometimes are different that we can't even predict. It's one of those times where we don't even begin to understand why things happen like this, but we trust that God has it all under control. Yeah, I've just noticed one thing. I haven't got my clicker, so can, can someone... Um, you've got that. Thanks, Renard. Got it. Were you just going to randomly do this for me? Oh, that's great. So thanks as we as a family pitch in together uh, to do things. Thanks, Ben. I really appreciate that. It's just part of that. It's perfect timing. If you want to be involved and, you, and, you, and God lays on your heart a way that you think you could help out, just contact the office and make that offer. Really good thing to do right now. Just good. Um, so we're not quite sure what's going to happen. Uh, we're we're going to check in with Brian. I have this feeling that he's, um, from what I've heard, he's at home like this, that caricature of the arm done in, in a bandage and sort of up like this, and it's all propped up. So Brian, if you're at home, I see that hand, brother. Uh, just keep hanging in there. Just good. So this week, we're not going to move to the next set of passages in the Sermon on the Mount, but step a little sideways uh, of that teaching and consider what getting used to different means to us as we plan for our futures. Now, here's the trouble. When I was on leave, I had some wonderful downtime to think and to pray and to read. I found myself doing that. One of my, one of my wonderful German colleagues in the past used to talk about this process as mind dribbling had chance to mind dribble, just, just to think and pray. And I found my, as I was thinking about our church and, and where we're going, I found myself uh, going back to my old role as a teacher educator. And I used to go into classrooms as teaching students were practicing what they were doing. And my job was to evaluate, like, how are we all doing? How are you doing at this? And I had two questions that I found to be incredibly powerful when I was trying to find out how well is it all going. And interestingly, I didn't ask them to the, to the teachers, I asked them to the students. So in this situation, it would be asking you. And the two questions that were incredibly powerful were this, very simple questions. One, what are you doing? And why are you doing it? And if we think about us as Christians, good questions. What, what are you doing? And why are you doing it? So today we're going to look at God's uh, messaging uh, around getting used to different. And I want to take a moment to consider what sense we're making of that 
and what difference it's making in our lives. They're very practical. James, the brother of Jesus, said this. He says in James 1, oh, this is where I push the button. Is it that one? Yeah, what are my plans for the future? Oh, all right, okay. When we say getting used to different, let me just go back a bit. That was going to be in there. Um, bear with this morning. <laughs> Not a lot of time to prepare. Oh, and, and for those that have been at Central for a while, you'll see there's a little bit of recycling has gone on here from, if you think back a long time. Often we, when we see the world around us, we see it in a very um, you know, way that we've seen it before. And if you look at this map of the world, uh, everything looks right. Right now in history, if you look at the bit that's Russia, there's a little bit down in the south there, which is the Ukraine, and there's a bit of a question as to, you know, is that going to be coloured in yellow or not over time? If we go back to when I was at school, maybe when you were older, um, that was all red. It was the USSR. So, so the detail in the map changes a little bit. We can redefine things a little bit as time goes on. And then if I go back to maps that I, I would have seen with my, uh, with my uncles and aunties places, there was a whole lot that was pink, and that was the British Empire. So the map, the map that we see and the way we see the world can change a little bit over time. But sometimes, sometimes, the whole thing we get a whole different view of it. And, and the teaching that's going on at the moment what that, that Brian's been talking about as Jesus was, was uh, presenting what he was saying was about turning the world upside down. The, the issues are the issues, but the way that we see them can change significantly. And as Christians, there's a question, you know, do we simply recolor the map as we learn more about Jesus and on our discipleship journey, or do we at some point choose to reflip the map, reorient it? James says this, James 1, 22 to 25, he says, don't merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror and, and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they have heard, but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. So today I want to talk about, so, so what is it, so, so what? As we listen and hear some, some good teaching, what does it do to us? Hopefully on your way in today, you, you picked up your bulletin and there was a bit of paper that's a bit bit confusing probably. Does it look like that? Hopefully you've got that. And you should have a writing stick. I'm a teacher. Today, I, it's going to be interactive. I'm going to ask you to consider some things and to write some things down. There's three boxes, um, top left, top right, and bottom. And I'll guide you through your response to that. It's a bit of a discipleship journey. And, and you can choose to engage in the journey or you can choose to sit back and watch it's up to you, um, but let me take us on a, on a dis, part of our discipleship journey. So what does it mean for our plans for the future? We're going to take a personal look at what we've been learning. So what does it mean for us? This whole idea of, of, of re-looking at the way we look at life, 
about turning it upside down. Jesus did this in his teaching on the Mount. He took well-embedded ideas in society and he turned them on their head. For example, he said this. He said, and we've already heard this, you have heard that it was said to the people long ago, you shall not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be, reject, will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to a brother or sister, Raka, is answerable to the court. And anyone who says, you fool, will be in danger of the fire of hell. So this whole idea of, you've heard it this way, but I want to present to you, actually, I tell you, it's different. This whole type of reimagining is, is often called a paradigm shift. It's not about slight tweaking around the edges to improve or to make things easier. It's a wholesale reimagining of how to respond to what's going on. So if we take Jesus' teaching on the Sermon on the Mount seriously, what does this mean for our plans for the future? For those, for those that were baptized today, what effect does your confession of your faith in Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord now mean for your future and for your journey as a disciple of Jesus? How are you going to live out your profession of faith now? Is it going to be life as usual with maybe some recoloring within the lines, or is it going to mean a reevaluation of everything and potentially a reimagining of the goals of life? And then for all of us that have been baptized, for all of us that call Jesus Lord of our lives, for all of us who claim to be disciples of Jesus, what does it mean in terms of what we do with the rest of our lives? What does this mean for our own discipleship journey with Jesus? It's getting used to different about living life to the pattern that's given to us from the world around us and recoloring within the lines to show that we are Christians, or is it also about reimagining what life is all about and reimagining what success in life is all about? I'm um, at this point drawn to this quote from William Carey. It haunts me. It haunts me as a person, as a Christian, as a person who calls Jesus my Lord. And it, and it haunts me in my responsibility as a pastor for this congregation. I'm not afraid of failure. I'm afraid of succeeding at things that just don't matter. Does it have a bearing? Is it something that now affects the trajectory of our lives? I mean, or does it merely color the way we do our normal life? Where is our faith in all of that? Do we just wear a badge that says Christian, but life's pretty much ordered by our normal priorities? <laughs> As an educator, a good part of my life's been involved in helping people to become the very best that they can be, and, and I understand my discipleship role as a pastor exactly that, helping people to become the very best they can be in Jesus to be a disciple of Jesus, getting to know him better and better and be more like him day after day. The problem is that in our world, we have lots of agendas that come to us. So as Christians, we have a Christian agenda. What are we supposed to be doing? But as we live in this world, if we've gone through the education system, if we simply do life in our world in New Zealand, there are other agendas that 
draw upon us. I've summarized, so bear with. The first I want to call the capitalist agenda. We all are washed over by this agenda around us. We have lots of messages confronting us about this. Sum it up, create wealth, gain qualifications, improve influence. One way of analyzing and potentially critiquing our school curriculum is to consider, I mean, how useful is it? How useful is our school curriculum in helping kids to achieve that? And the first indicator of it is they get a job, right? And if our kids go through the school system and they don't get a job, we sort of critique it. We say, well, school sucks. It's not very good. But actually, that's the capitalist agenda. We've got to understand it. The agenda encourages us to prioritize our resources, our time, our talents, our finances, and use them all to increase those same things for us. And like a snowball running downhill, they simply get more and more over our time as we live through life. Actually, all development theory around the world, whether applied to individuals or to actually at the nation level, is all based on that. And do you know what? It works. It works for individuals and it works all the way through to nations. And there's nothing wrong with it. It's, it's not in itself wrong. When I was a kid, uh, who, who played this when you were back in the uh, 70s team? Come on. Yeah, the game of life. Come, be brave. Be proud. We played this as a family. It was, it was wonderful. But if I wanted to sum up, you know, what is the whole, the whole thing? Here's what it was. It was, you go around the board, spin the thing, and you could choose to get an education. And if you got an education, you, you then everything you went on doubled up or something like that. You got, the whole idea of the game was that you got education, you got job security, you got an income, and you got income security, you got a house and a home, and, you can, and then you can have children. And then you get, the whole idea is to get a mortgage-free house. And then at the end of that comes those wonderful, things got leisure and holidays which I've just been on right so here's the thing there's nothing wrong with all of that and where I am right now thinking about investing for my retirement (laughs) see Ian again I I don't think I don't actually think as a Christian there's anything wrong with all of that it's about taking personal responsibility but 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 it's getting it in context. It's getting it in the picture of the big world. You may say to yourself, this is Deuteronomy 8, 79, you may say to yourself, my power and my strength of my hands have reduced this wealth for me. But remember, the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the ability to produce wealth and so confirms his covenant, which he swore to your ancestors as it is today, the Abrahamic covenant. There's nothing really wrong with that, but it's about the perspective of that. Where do we put that in perspective of things? It's about keeping a balance. And if I was to ask what would be the most um, quoted biblical text about, about capitalist agenda and making money, it would be 1 Timothy 6.10 that says, the love, for the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. The love of money, when it becomes the overwhelming thing that you are doing, it's that agenda of your life, God tells us it can be a little bit out of whack. So here's the touch point. We think about all those things I talked about, getting education, making money, securing your future, all of that. Take a moment, get a bit of paper out and your pen, And in the left-hand column, I'm going to give you a minute, 60 seconds. I'm not going to move on. 
Think about all those things that you're doing at the moment which are to do with that part of the world and that part of life and just jot them down. Second thing, have a think about what you want to improve on in that area. What are you heading towards and jot them down. You can do it, you can make it possible because you can think, okay, in the next three months up until Christmas, is there anything I'm going to add? What about next year and then what about maybe the next five years? So for me, the thinking is around retiring in five to six years' time. Take a moment, write it down. Have you been so lost you could never be found? Cause I've been real, I've been fake. Been a sinner, been a saint. I've been right, I've been so, so wrong. I don't know what it's like to be you You don't know what it's like to be me What if we're all the same in different kinds of ways Can you, can you relate? We both know what it's like to be her We both know what it's like to feel pain But I think it's safe to say we're on to better days. Can you, can you relate? At this point, have you ever been left when you should have been loved? Has there ever been a time when you stayed but you should have run? Cause I've been real, I've been fake. The second, the second, uh, of the world that washes over us. Is um is the socialist agenda? It's not working. What they do? Anyway, I'll keep working. Um, it's the socialist agenda. This too has a re- thank you a really really strong influence on our thinking in terms of direction and goals and what we're going to do in life. Um, it can be summed up by considering this time not not what you do to benefit yourself, but what you do to benefit others. It's, it's a different way of seeing the world. Um, it, it actually is all about what it means to live in, a, and live in and be part of a just society, a society that contributes most to the least advantaged, a society that works to equalize not only access to, but control of cultural, social, and economic institutions. It's a different way of just seeing the world and what the priorities are. And the idea is not new to Christians. In fact, Jesus' teaching has at times been used to underpin socialist arguments. Jesus announced his whole agenda for his ministry on earth in his address to the synagogue in Nazareth following his 40 days in the, of testing in the wilderness. And as he took the scroll up, he said this. He said, The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has appointed me to proclaim the good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. So within this, there's a whole idea of, of, as a Christian, we look after others. We look after the least, uh, the poor. We look after the unlovely, the unloved. We look after the least advantaged, the disenfranchised. We look after those that don't have agency or the ability to act on their own behalf, the afflicted and the oppressed. 
Our, our church here has had a long, uh, long history of that. So, so for example, at, at an organizational level, the Hamilton Combined Christian Food Bank Trust operates in Hamilton, and, and our church is a part of that. We, there's a box out in the foyer that people bring food to drop in, and that goes there every week to support people who, who don't have enough food at the time. Something's gone wrong in their lives. Uh, we've we've um, been on the board of that. Our staff here have been on the board of that for a number of years. We have ready meals that we give out to people. We, ha- we hold them on site. Some people um, cook for us on that. These, these are boxed up meals that are in a deep freeze. And anyone that walks in the door, we can make sure that they're not hungry. We can sort that out. If we go back a bit, we had Hippie Home Intervention Program for Parents and Youngsters, where we, we went into homes that were um, uh, in need and education was not high for them, and we intervened in their lives to do that. Christians Against Poverty, um, Glenda, that still runs. We get people who have got, um, in their own worlds, they, they have identified that they've got problems with um, poverty. We befriend those. We uh, have a project in social housing. And Tafano Putahi, this 20, was it 26 years? Um, partnership and birthing of this ministry over in Fairfield. And today we celebrate. I do encourage you, one o'clock, come across and just celebrate in, in their becoming a, 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 their own Baptist entity in their own right. So it's like, it's like the parents giving the key to the house. They're their own now. They've come of age. They've done that. In 1 Timothy 6, it says this, Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, which richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. And this way they will lay out treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age, so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. When we engage in that social agenda, there's, there's two things. There's, I mean, the world has that. It's called people that do good. There's do-gooders all over the place, and, the, and I call them Johnny do-good. As a Christian, there's actually a different reason we get involved in that, and, and we, can talk about, we can think about sharing our faith and, our, and our, the gospel with them. But actually, there's something that happens. When we engage in people with people who are disenfranchised, God changes us as much as he as our work changes them and and in many ways i think about in fact the greatest value for us being involved in one of those social agency situations is is what happens to us as we go through that so many of us are involved in that sort of thing take a moment here's the second one of these in the top is it right now right hand column Think about what you already do, which might be involved at that level, the socialist thing of, of engaging and giving priority to the poor. And it, what are you already doing? What might you do? Have a think about, within that, how much of that is where you are walking alongside people and having the opportunity to speak into their lives and for them to speak into your life? Take a moment. I've been I've been so so wrong. Yeah, I made my mistakes. Now I don't know what it's like to be. You don't know what it's like to be me. What if we're all?
Christian agenda. Um, again, I'll ask. The, oh, there we are. Great. The Christian agenda. So, so, what is it that we're called to do as a disciple of Jesus? Um, that's different to the worldly agendas that surround us and wash over us every day. What does it mean to reorient the map of life to reflect being a disciple of Jesus, one who truly calls him Lord and Savior, and not just perhaps recolor within the lines? Jesus clearly calls those that are his disciples, those who call him Lord and Savior, to a task. And in his last words before leaving the earth, he said, of course, he said this, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I am with you to the very end of the age. So actually, in my mind, anyway, and the answer to what the Christian agenda is is quite simple. It's to make disciples and teach them to obey all that Jesus commanded. In my experience, this idea of making disciples is often just simplified into that whole idea of helping people to come to the point where they accept their need for Jesus as a saviour. Um, to make disciples is simplified to help people to um, give their lives to Jesus is often the way it's said. And that's what I've heard, how I've heard it said. But I think, given the second part of that quote, the bit about teaching them to obey all that Jesus commanded, I, th I think we can safely argue that making disciples is also about helping people to become all that they can be in Jesus. An ongoing discipleship journey with people sharing life together in authentic community. Ian, what did you say? Amen. Thank you, brother. <laughs> Jesus lived, he ate, he traveled, and he just did life with his disciples. And the scriptures are soaked with examples of Jesus teaching just as he was walking along with people. And as things came up, the Pharisees came and threw a question, and he used the opportunity to teach in and around the much bigger understanding. Not just about ticking boxes and doing rules, he turned it on its head and said, this is what the kingdom of God is like. It's about living a relationship instead of living by the rules. To live wanting to dance with our Savior daily, learning to enjoy Him and enjoy that relationship every day. So here's the last question. As you plan for the next months, the next year, and then the medium term, say for the next five years, how are we, you can take this personally, you as well, going to be involved in making disciples and helping those around us to understand and obey all that Jesus has taught us. It's not just a focus on the new Christians and the idea of Discipleship 101. It's about being involved in discipling and being open to be discipled by all those around us, all that call Jesus Lord. 
We're in a season of fabulous teaching of what Jesus taught to his disciples and all those that gathered on the hillside to hear him. We as Christians are very fortunate to have deep teaching of what Jesus meant. There are many Christians in the world who don't get that depth of teaching right now. Um, And he brought this paradigm shift to the contemporary Judaic understanding of what it meant to fulfill the law and to follow God. For those that listened and understood, he turned the world on its head. And today for those that listen and do what he teaches, our worlds may also be reimagined. But what do we do with this understanding? What do we do now to address the Christian agenda that, was, that we as Christians are called to? For some like Andrew serving with MAF, the big picture is clear. They've reoriented the map. In some ways, turning life's priorities upside down. They're not just recolored inside the lines. They've reoriented the map. They, The call to make disciples is near and immediate and enacted almost daily, I guess. But for us that are called to take up other roles in life, more more normal or or maybe more expected is a better way to say that, what are we going to do to to engage in making disciples and helping those around us be more and more like Jesus every day and to understand and obey what he's taught us? And maybe the most important question is, what are we going to do to engage in this? What opportunities will we take to get alongside people and live some aspect of life together, sharing what makes us tick, what we value, and have opportunity to help and be helped in our journey to be more like Jesus ourselves? So finally, as the musicians come back up on stage now, take a moment. Think about the next three months up till the end of the year and Uh, Then think about the next year, 2023, and then the next five years. This time right in the bottom of the page, make a list of what you are currently doing that helps you disciple, disciple, sorry, helps in your discipleship and helps you disciple others. Consider and write it down. What are you going to do in your life to add to this in the next while? It's an opportunity to reflect upon our discipleship journey and to acknowledge how we are addressing this part of God's plan for our lives. How are we engaging in making disciples and teaching them to obey all that Jesus has taught us? Can I encourage you to keep your piece of paper? Maybe pop it in your Bible or in your phone. (laughs) Take it out and pray about it during the week. And have a conversation with God. Be bold and be open to getting used to being different. Ask yourself, what am I doing and why am I doing it? Thanks, team.